0: means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.
1: Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Um, my guest today is Eric Arnesti, uh, the CTO of Vida Identity, V-I-D-A Identity. Eric, how are you doing? Very good. Yeah, thanks for coming. So uh, tell me about
2: Vida. What, what do you guys do? Um, We are uh, designing um, a passwordless encryption system that uses um, some aspects of social networking and and, uh, cryptography to make it so that you don't have to type your password and also to make it so that the files you have are extraordinarily secure. So the... um, yeah. yeah,
1: how would that work? Um, you know, I go to log so in. Do I? You know, what does it recognize? What does it look for?
2: So basically, what the way it works is, um, ordinarily, the way most key managers or password managers work is you have some sort of master password, and then you use this master password to unlock every single password that you've got and, and log into a website. And the problem with that is the master password now becomes your weak spot. Somebody who gets it can can crack everything. Likewise, with files sitting at rest on your disk, um, an encrypted file system typically will encrypt the entire file system with a single key. So what we've done is we said, all right let's encrypt every single file or every single password with a different key and then what we'll do is we'll take those keys, shard them using uh, Shamir secret sharing algorithm, and distribute those shards out to a series of devices and then we do a couple of proprietary things where we deal with um, the uh, management of hundreds or maybe thousands of keys located out on multiple devices such that the keys themselves actually don't actually have to reside on those devices instead merely the ability to use the keys resides in that device because that device has a private key that gives you the ability to use it so there's some interesting stuff mm-hmm. we're doing and essentially what it means is if somebody breaks into your machine and you've got your own files encrypted with our system the only thing they could possibly get is anything that is currently loaded in active RAM. So if you're currently viewing a file, yes, they can take a look at it. If you're not currently viewing the file, it is at rest, they can. In order to get access to that file, they would need to hack, your, your, they would need to hack that machine and also hack one or more devices depending on the sharing scheme you use. Most people would be using, say, their phone as the key to unlock their desktop's data. That's a pretty typical scenario. I have a desktop, I have a phone. As long as I have my phone, I can get my stuff. If I lose my phone, then I have to initiate a recovery procedure, and the recovery procedure pulls the keys from a backup. And what's the backup? Well, in general, I think the best backup would be like my wife's phone. My wife doesn't get notifications or alerts, but if I lose stuff, I trust her not to steal from me or screw me over, right? So I think the general, rather than having your trust placed in like a Microsoft.com or a Cisco – it might be better to have your trust placed in a friend or a loved one, somebody who you actually trust with the keys to your kingdom. Because you need it. Where else are you going to put your backup? I mean you could stick it in a bank vault too, but then you're trusting the bank.
1: <laughs> Makes sense. What um quick question I've heard about sharding. What is it? Can you go into a little bit of detail, low level?
2: I mean it's essentially the same technology that underlies stuff like multi-sig. So the idea is, is that you have a key that split among multiple um or a secret in some way that's split or a private key or whatever that's split among multiple devices. I mean, it's not exactly the same as multi-sig. Multi-sig is actually multiple keys. But the the point is, is that you have a thing that you're splitting um, into multiple uh, keys. And the way the sharing algorithm works is that normally, let's say I had a really long password with 32 characters in it, right? But then I decided to split it and I gave 16 to one person and 16 to someone else. The problem with doing that is there some entropy loss. Now I have two 16-character passwords, right? And it becomes okay. more evident the way it's split, and there's some weakness that you get, right? When you finally give, if you split it enough times, you wind up with, like, two-character passwords. You give someone a shard. It doesn't, it doesn't really, it's not, that person doesn't provide any value. So the way Shamir's Secret sharing algorithm works is it restores the entropy by inserting, basically, a lot of randomness so that when you hand two people different keys, um, those two keys, are the same now they're both thirty two bytes long, um so that kind of thing yep oh so sense.
1: okay, so it's not like um uh, you know ripping a treasure map in half
2: it's and if not you put the
1: two pieces together it's it's each one gets like, their own encrypted version of a map, so you can't correlate one with the other
2: exactly, exactly. you can't tell that they're both part of the same map. you can't hold them up next to each other and see that they line up um they're basically two completely different looking like maps, but each neither one, one of them is the actual map. You'd need them
1: both. Okay, interesting. Yeah, because use, I've used like RoboForm or LastPass or that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, you have hundreds of websites you got to log into, and you're right, there's a master password, and if you get in there, then you get access to the whole thing. So it, right. it actually is not secure because it creates a honeypot. Someone gets into that one password, and that's it. <laughs> you get
2: them all. Yeah. And the idea is to take away the idea. basically, the essential, the essential thing we're doing is we're removing the idea that secrets remain in your memory. And instead, we say the secrets remain on a device, a thing that you have and you hold. And we consider the best possible device to be a phone. And there's some disadvantages to phones. Phones can be hacked, right? Um, phones are weak in right. some ways. But there are some advantages to phones. And the biggest advantage is this. You know when you lose your phone. It's not something you're not going to be aware of. If I use a USB key, I mean, yeah, sure, that gives me a lot of issues. If I use it, if I create a proprietary device that isn't a phone, and this proprietary device only has a private key inside of it, and it only can, you know, do the things it needs to do to unlock the shards of my file, and we talked about that, and we're probably going to build one, but it's not the priority. And the reason is that when you lose that device, you won't notice it. You'll you'll just walk around with your with some other guy with that device, you know busy busily trying to hack your system and you won't even notice that it's happening because he'll have that device and you won't care about it. But when you mm-hmm. lose your phone, you care about it immediately.
1: Um, kind of a Especially if the idea. thing you're
2: locking up is something like Bitcoin. That's the other thing is a lot of this motivation. I don't know if you know Vita, if you know the foundations of the company, a lot of this motivation came around the fact that people were storing Bitcoins and they were storing things that were actually intrinsically valuable.
1: Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about the background. So where did all this come from and you know what what were the reasons that drove you guys to do this
2: yeah so 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 um the the founders of vita um were also the founders of uh, a company that is involved with bitcoin um i don't know how much allowed to say about that but basically um they personally were responsible for vaulting and securing bitcoin and so designing a new cryptographic scheme and a new way of securing data made a lot of sense and then, while doing that, it made even more sense for it to be a product that we could then um, sell, or you know, to enterprises or to users, especially in light of things like the big Equifax hack and stuff like that.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so you're relying on devices. So to access, uh, you know, your computer, you need your phone there to access. You need your phone. Um,
2: yeah.
1: Okay. Gotcha.
2: Yeah. That's, again, basically the uh, idea. You know, I've,
1: I've I've seen examples of like people you know, hackers calling Verizon and porting your phone number to another right. device. Uh, yeah, that, but that, would that wouldn't compl- work. because security?
2: No, it doesn't. It's got nothing to do with the number. Basically, the idea behind it is, is that in order to get access to your stuff, you would have to hack the key ring that comes with the phone. So it, it, you don't know if you know what a key ring is, but basically a key ring is like yeah. kind of like a LastPass built into a lot of devices, right? Windows has a thing called Windows Vault, and, 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 and people on... Um, Linux tend to use a thing called secret storage and phones have their own key rings. Every device that you buy these days typically has some sort of built in vault of some kind. And it's, it's, they're not perfectly secure, but they're certainly more reasonably secure than just shoving it on a hard drive or, you know, it's, 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 it's to hack into it, you would have to have a, a certain, a fairly re, a fairly large degree of access. Obviously, a rooted device. I mean, you're probably going to be able to get access to keyring. Maybe someone will tell me I'm wrong about that. I'm like, are you crazy? A rooted device, you still can't get access. I mean, people go people go through some effort to make these key rings secure, and we're, I'm trusting that that effort is probably greater than the amount of effort I can put into securing a keyring. Right? That's, that's, right. The, that's the that's the that's the point. Is like, why not why not use that? Why not? Why not split your key and put it into these various key rings on these devices that you own, and then require ownership of that, of that of that device and and presence of that device to be contingent on opening a file? And I can have more than one device required, right? I can have my phone and my partner's phone for some really sensitive data or some some bitcoins that you know my firm is uh, custodying for on behalf of other of other users. Right. So now I don't I have absolute security and surety knowing that these bitcoins could not possibly be uh, spent unless me and my partner are signing off on it. That's that's pretty cool. Um, you know, and that's the idea. It's very similar to multisig. Um, but now you're talking about any encrypted data, not just bitcoins, It's uh, Excel spreadsheets with, you know, financial information or whatever. Well, tell
1: me, give me an example. You know, I want to go to my computer and log in and I don't, look at some encrypted excel sheet like what's the literally what are the steps what happens under your system
2: so uh, if you have our system installed you go to a folder um and this would be like the v drive is what we usually um, we mount an encrypted folder onto your system kind of like a Dropbox. and you double click on the v drive you see all your encrypted files you double click on a file and then your phone beeps and you look at your phone and there's a little box pops up that says is it okay for this person to access, you know, file, you know, Excel, hello, whatever. And then you click OK, and then the file opens up. And if you click no, then the file doesn't open up. Um, so it's, um, it's a pretty straightforward, you know, system where you're just getting an alert on a phone. Um, if more than one signer is required, then you open the file and you get the alert and your partner gets the alert. And then he clicks OK, and then the file opens up. And we can actually create more complex themes. So we can create situations where you've got... Uh, maybe you're you're allowed to open this file, but only if an AI checks to see if you've badged in, right? So what we can do is we can give an AI the shard, and the AI could then check to see if you badged in that morning. So now, yes, you've got my phone. Uh, yes, you're required to open, You have your phone, but let's say someone got me hostage somewhere, and they're opening this file, and they're threatening me, and I have to click OK. Well, guess what? I didn't badge in that morning. I'm being held in a room, and therefore I still can't open the file. Like you can, you can create layers with this system, which is one of the coolest things about it, actually. Or I guess
1: for a company, you know, if you're not on-premises, you yeah. can't open the file even if you have the phone. That
2: would be a exactly a less crazy example. Yeah, it's not. Oh, it's crazy. less a less crazy example, but I like the I like the five-dollar wrench attack. I like trying to defend against that. And I've you never heard that phrase, but the the five dollar wrench attack is something you want to think about when you're designing a security system. Yeah, never heard about that. Huh. Yeah, so the five dollar oh, wrench yeah. attack is like a classic thing. You know, uh, you have a security system; it's really awesomely secure, but can it defend you from the five dollar wrench attack?
1: Right. I have a kind of kooky idea I want to ask you about. Sort of, um, you know how people are implanting little uh, like rice grain sized chips in their hand. Um, sure. Why couldn't that be used as a device like this to access your Absolutely passwords true. or as a wallet
2: itself? You know, a Bitcoin wallet or yeah. I mean, happen? I think did that happen? I think given an implanted device like that, I think trying to get it to do anything more than say sign something or maybe even encrypt something with a with a uh, uh, with a public. Well, no, I guess it would be decrypt something mm-hmm. with its private key. Um, you know having it be able to do some basic operations like that would be pretty challenging jamming that into an implanted device but i i think they could do it these days i don't, I don't really know the state of the art on RFID implantation or you know or what the what the deal is with that i know people who implant RFIDs and they don't really do much right they just have a they just have a token and then they're just like yes this is a, this is person with token um but they can't do anything but respond dumbly and so they're not really secure, right? Anyone who uh, can can kind of sniff that RFID traffic and get a copy of the, the token and then imitate you um, without even being present, um, they can just ping your little device and get a copy of it. Um, mm-hmm. But if, they, if they're doing things like where they actually have some logic on board, um, then I think an implantable device would make a little more sense. Uh, it's a very, very small amount of logic, um, you know, encrypt-decrypt and verify that kind of stuff um mm-hmm. that would that would work that would be a that would be a functioning thing, and I know people have done it um but I think it's mostly just a stunt at this point um mm-hmm. i uh i would I'd find that to be probably useful in a way, but also on the other hand just kind of creepy i think probably gotcha. if we <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. um yeah so back well back to your technology
1: so who are your users? Is it more enterprise? Is it individuals? It is
2: currently more enterprise, for sure. There is an aspect of individuals, you know, especially where, where we're alpha testing this with people, you know, like my dad, you know, keeping his Excel files encrypted with it. Um, and just, you know, from a user interface experience, we tend to use people who are just friends and family, you know, playing around with it, and complaining about bugs and us fixing them. But, um, and it's not, it's certainly not, the product isn't ready for prime time yet, but it is functional. And it's horribly secure. Um with, and uh, and those are good things. Uh making it friendly is kind of what we're mostly working on now. Um but yeah, so enterprises average, are probably uh, more interested in that.
1: Yeah, what are what are some like enterprise use cases? Any I mean I, I you know, it's not I mean, for the, it's deployed yet, but
2: yeah, it's not deployed yet. I think the biggest use case is like a record by record. So imagine each record in a database being a quote unquote file. Um, now when somebody attempts to access that record, they have to have the key for that record, uh, and you Mm. can create permissions on a per record basis, um, which really gives you a lot of, um, power for segmenting your data so that if somebody manages to snipe the whole database, they don't get anything. If somebody starts asking for lots of keys, you can shut them down. Um, it basically being able to have millions and millions of keys and manage them reasonably because you're not using a centralized password manager of any kind, you're using device security, that changes the game. It, it, it changes the security level uh, many orders of magnitude greater than what you've got today. I mean, seriously, there's, there's just like no comparison between. I, 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 I work at a lot of big corporations. Um, I don't want to point fingers, but I can say that most big companies don't have what I would consider enterprise-grade security, even though they are enterprises. Uh, there are certain silos within those companies that do a good job um, usually those silos are company, part of parts of the company that are responsible for vaulting or parts of the company that are responsible for custodying co- consumer data in a reasonably secure manner, they're going to be heavily audited and they're probably going to do a good job. But from a day-to-day operation standpoint, most large companies don't do a good job. Um, so that's really that's yeah, the I reality.
1: See, um, you know, I can see, let's say, the U.S. replaced Social Security numbers with some new kind of ID number, and every single you know, a new social security number was encrypted and the person that that number belonged to obviously had the power to unlock it. Um, It would make things a lot more safe if, you know, those kind of things were hacked. And if your personal data, if you could do this with it and assign a different encryption for each piece of it, then you'd have a lot more control of that data and whether to share it or not and see if anyone's trying to access it.
2: Yeah. I, I, I mean, I don't know about the social security number thing because that's, it's tough. That's, it's like, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I feel like there was a, there's a bottom-up notion of identity. I mean, the name of our company is Vita Identity. Um, one of the things we do is, like, for password recovery, our theory is this. Somebody comes into an office and they've lost their phone. They can't access their file. What's the best way of recovering their access? Is it to go to a central administrator and show an ID that maybe hasn't seen him before and maybe doesn't know him very well? or is it to just ask his colleagues, hey, I lost my thing, can you guys reinitialize this device for me and then like 3 out of 7 of his colleagues initialize the device with his identity. That's much more that's a greater level of security and it's also cellularized, compartmentalized. You can't actually imitate anyone at the firm without knowing their peer group and who they are. And a person gets to decide what their own peer group is. So when I get my device, I get to decide. I trust Bob at the office and Hal at the office and car ticket, the office to, uh, to, uh, to authenticate who I am. And I make that decision on my own. So I, I really believe, like, I don't know if you've heard the term cypherpunk. I really believe in the, the bottom up notion sure. of security. Um, so, so security really comes from the bottom. It comes from peers and friends, the people who know who you are. It can't come from a central administration of any kind. So if the government wants to know, if someone wants to know who, you know, who I am, and they don't trust me to say who I am. They can ask my friends, and they'll, they'll you know, that's that's the right, that's the right way of saying who you are. Um, what about and, um, and,
1: including biometrics as a as an add on to verification? What's your thoughts? Yeah, on I that? mean,
2: biometrics are built into everybody's device, right? So our system, you know, requires your phone to be present. Hey, if you turn on f- fingerprint encryption on your phone, that's great. So now you got to swipe your phone before you can say okay. That's that's your personal decision what you do with your device um and whether or not you include biometrics with that device. And the device that we're building is probably going to include the 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 hand the standalone device is including a, it includes a fingerprint scanner. Um and it just makes you feel better that the fingerprint is swiped, but ultimately the presence of the device is more important than the fingerprint. And the reason again is going back to the $5 wrench attack. Um my identity is not my device. My my device however is um uh, a component of what I'm able to use to prove my identity. Um, But a fingerprint is obviously gameable and hackable in ways that there's there's countless ways to do it, and it's it's not secure in and of itself. Um, If you just required a fingerprint scan to say get into a website, then somebody could I don't know swipe my scan swipe my fingerprint off a um off a glass and then use that fingerprint, encode it using whatever the encoding scheme is of the device, and then send it up to the website and get in.
1: Um, but they oh, only don't like, actually uh, have you know maybe multi-factor and only for uh, recovery, you know, not for use.
2: Yeah, I mean that might work. Maybe for recovery, it might be okay. Um, to require my fingerprint. Yeah. So if I could, if I'm like, if I'm saying to you, "Hey, you're, I'm giving you a recovery password um, for my device," you say, "No problem." You bring up the app, and then I swipe my fingerprint in the app, and then now I am required to ask you and be present and swipe. That's cool. That's a that's a reasonable security. I like that actually. I like that feature enough I'm probably gonna start talking about people about it today. <laughs>
1: well, there you go. Great, excellent. Yeah, no, yeah.
2: <laughs> I should I should have paid you for that one.
1: <laughs> so so how long um what's your roadmap look like? How long until you have uh, a functioning version that's gonna be in use?
2: It's really hard to predict. We're kind of in the early stages. Um I uh everybody wants me to say, you know, three months, six months. Um, I think that's reasonable in that range, three to six months, fine. You know, as CTO, you're under pressure to produce, uh, you know, viable product very quickly, but you're also trying to be mindful of the fact that you actually want this thing to be really, really secure and you want to use best practices while doing so. And that's, yeah, it's kind of challenging to do both at once.
1: (laughs) I'm sure you're getting initial interest from a lot of different places that have heard about it you know, what industry is there approaching you? What kind of uh, people are approaching you to that eagerly want to use this?
2: I think since we're in finance um, and we have a little background in the Bitcoin community, we're getting a lot of you know people who are approaching us are hedge funds and people who are custodying Bitcoin and people who own it um, who are concerned about security on a, you know, and, and don't like the idea of master passwords and stuff like that. Maybe encryption types. Um, this is because the circles we run in. I don't, I don't think that this is why. Like, I'm really glad that I get I get my dad on board and get his feedback because I don't think this is limited to. I think this is actually a really important thing for everybody to be running. I think people really should care about the security of their data, and I don't think I want the day and age of trivial hacks into people's computers and exposing everything they've got to be over. I would like that to be something that's done, and, and we just don't. It just doesn't happen anymore. Um, hmm. And the only way to do that is to really, really decentralize a product like this, if not us somebody else, but to really decentralize it and not have these last passes and these honeypots, like you said, where people kind of go after them.
1: Um, Definitely, yeah. Hmm. Um, Would there be a solution where, let's say you're going to register for a service or a website or something, you know, right now you've got to provide all your information, you know, to that Mm -hmm. service and they keep it in their databases. And again, it can be hacked and they have been hacked. Um, Any way to do a product where you can verify it's you without giving a service your data specifically or not having them keep it not having them keep custody of it you know reveal to them verify you and then you get
2: back custody of it yeah i mean the problem is what's who are you like what are you going verify that you have custody of it i can verify that i have custody of stuff i can stick on the blockchain we were doing that for a while of a, a big random number and then prove that i um i'm in charge of that big random number um, and the blockchains, you know, reasonably distributed. So it'd be very hard. I can revoke that big random number. Um, so then the website can go and they can say, yes, you you do have access to this big random number. Um, you, are, you are user, whatever that big random number is. Um, and that's something that we, we have a product for, actually. But we didn't get a lot of bite on it as much as we did on the encryption product. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason is, is that Identity is wrapped up in things like KYC and laws and custodying the user's information is sort of like you legally required by the entities that we care about, like things like, you know, brokerages and banks. So I could go to a bank and I could say, hey, you no longer need to custody the user's information. Instead, all you need to do is check the blockchain and, 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 and then you can prove the user has access to this big random number and they're in control of it and then you can issue the account information contingent on the access to that and log them in based on that and know who they are and, and kind of develop a relationship with somebody based on this big random number and they go that's a really great idea and i love it because then i could deposit money to that account i would have no ambiguity about who this person was except that it's entirely illegal right now <laughs> like it's a, mm. it's a great idea and it's really cool but I, you know i can't do it i actually have to have their information in a database so then you know." What we're doing is we're providing a product that makes it so that the people who have to store this information can store it securely. So that right. even though they've got this big database, there's no honeypot there. Because every single record in that database is individually secured with a different key. So when, hmm. when, when the government comes and says, hey, show me all your records, they go, we actually can't unless you come here and work with us for like a week. But we've got it all. We can prove we have everything. And I think that's now legally allowed. But you can encrypt things really, really well. You can lock them up really tight, but you have to be able to be able to respond to a government request, give, you know, here's person X, tell me everything you did. You have to be able to do that. That's just the law. It's a a crappy law, and I'm not a big fan of the law, but the least we can do is make it so that people who are obeying the law aren't putting everybody at risk.
1: Right. Gotcha. Okay. Well, very good. Well, so how do interested parties get in touch with you? I know it's early days, but... um you know, if they have questions or they want to propose a, a use case, you know, maybe start working with you. What's the best way to get in contact?
2: Um, I guess the best way to get in contact with us right now is just to shoot a message to sales at vitaidentity.com, um, and, uh or maybe Eric at VitaIdentity.com if you want to talk to me and uh, we can get back to you.
1: Okay. Well, very good. Eric, thanks for being on the podcast and I appreciate it
0: for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Superconference, Go to bitcoinsuperconference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's bitcoinsuperconference.com. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post to review, and discover more future technologies